0: On the Empire Podcast this week, Southpaw star Jake Gyllenhaal drops by to show us some nifty footwork and the odd jab. While there's the usual cavalcade of movie news and nonsense on the movie podcast that won't be mentioning Raheem Sterling's name in the intro again, that's for damn sure. Unless, of course, we do a piece about greatest traitors or whatever. Ha 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 I'm okay, I'm over it. Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt, welcome to the Empire Podcast in association with Squarespace the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio or online store uh, for a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts go to squarespace.com and use the offer code Empire how on earth are you going to remember that? I have no idea, but there you go. Joining me this week are two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Uh, first up is our art house guru, who's just returned from Comic-Con, where he was and I wasn't, and that's just the way it is, uh, where he cosplayed as the battleship Potemkin itself. Uh, it's Phil Disemlian. How are you? Good, thank you very much. At last, but almost certainly least, is our online editor-in-chief, a West Wing fan. Okay, there's the setup. A West Wing fan so fervent that he refuses to clean his house with pledge for him... Here's a punchline. It's Mr. Sheen all the way. Because the star of the West Wing is Martin Sheen. And there's a famous cleaning product called Mr. Sheen. And this is a joke that amusingly confuses the two. That's very good. and It's it's James Dyer. I have a related question for you. Okay. Who's Raheem Sterling? Raheem Sterling is... uh, No, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, here's uh, this week's question, which is uh, held over from previous uh, previous podcasts. Uh, we never got around to uh, asking it. Um, someone sent it in a while ago, and me being me, I've forgotten who sent it in, but it has stuck in our, <coughs> in our heads. Why don't you talk about the greatest movie hotel rooms? What are the hotel rooms and oh. movies that stick out in your mind? Oh. And not necessarily places you'd like to stay. Mm. Places in which eventful things have happened. Cool things have happened.
1: For a man who's had five weeks to prepare for this question, mm. my answers are pretty pretty skinny. Yep. But I would say that movie hotel rooms are usually a place where bad things happen rather than good yes. things. It's rare that in a movie people check into a hotel and just have a nice time and then leave again. Um, there's always some form of like gun battle or existential crisis, uh, <laughs> lost in translation, um, crazy weirdness, a la Barton Fink.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, pretty Woman, I guess, has something close to her more happy well, type scenario I mean, that's pretty sleazy at times <laughs> so perhaps not alright Grand Budapest Hotel
0: yes but there aren't a
1: lot of hotel room rooms in it oh, there? it's mostly in the communal areas
0: The you film. yeah you don't see a lot of people actually staying do you really in the in the Grand you, Budapest Hotel you don't you see M. Gustav early on mm-hmm.
1: introducing himself to some of the older ladies mm-hmm. Tilda Swinton's character for one at mm-hmm. the very beginning mm-hmm. of the film but there, thereafter it's mostly in the lobby
0: okay, okay. I love uh, the hotel suite that Clark Kent and Lois Lane stay in in Superman 2 where that's actually where the the, the fire they have the Mm. fire into which uh, Clark drops his glasses (laughs) and retrieves his glasses without a scratch uh, thus leading crack investigative journalist Lois Lane to finally deduce (laughs) that Clark Kent and Superman are one and the same to be fair she had been leaning that way throughout the the course of the movie because you know she's got eyes um (laughs) but otherwise yeah so that that that's great and it has a vibrating bed which is quite fun there's a uh, bit of there's a bit of business there and there's a bit of business with you know, there's only one bed and Clark's a bit like ooh oh, oh, oh we're going to have and she's like no you're going to get the couch Kent so that's one of my favorite hotel rooms there are, there are others of course room 237 or 217 indeed if you're being a, a king purist. indeed in the book it's 217 in the film it's 237 but bad things happen there which, they do yeah Mm. I'd like to stay at the Continental from
3: John Wick, that hmm. slightly surreal, weird hitmen's amnesty hotel. Yes, uh, which has Lance Reddick on the concierge, and indeed Lovejoy in the basement. But uh, yeah, where, uh, where he has that uh, that sort of dust up with Adrian Pullici in the bedroom.
0: Yeah, quite a nice yep. room. It's a nice room. It's a, it's a standard room. It's got a bed. It's got a TV. It's got a mini bar. It's you know it's it's, it's, it's got it's Lester fine. Freeman down the hallway. It's got Lester Freeman, which is good. The rooms themselves don't seem that. Strange. Strange or out of the ordinary, but the hotel itself is pretty cool. Mm. Um, I don't know what they gave it in TripAdvisor. Yeah.
1: Was he? He was in a Savoy, wasn't he? In in long, uh, the Long Good Friday when he has the he has the face off with the Mafia, and he gives his whole famous
0: "the I, Mafia I shit him, I shit him, um, yeah, I shit him" speech. And then doesn't he? That's then he walked out and well, not to ruin the Long Good Friday, but yeah, yeah. anyway. Mm. But yes,
1: there's some really really cool kind of hotel. For one thing, never you never look through the um, spy hole in mm-hmm. the hotel room, because mm-hmm. you will always be shot in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, or this call for the... room service, because it'll always be an assassin.
0: Yep. Lethal weapon too.
1: Did someone ask for a club sandwich? And Bond. death? No. Just yeah. wanted a club sandwich, but here you are. Um, bits where there's people coming into the hotel room, and you have to escape through the window, and then down the side of the building. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head. Um, and in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, of course, that's... That's a hotel room, isn't it? Where he kind of yes, they are. launches himself out and up
0: the Burj Khalifa. But yeah, hotel rooms in movies tend to be just like hotel rooms. They seem to be a bit nondescript. I mean, obviously, you wouldn't want to stay in the Bates Model mm. would you? You wouldn't want to stay there because, you know, you mm. will get stabbed in the shower and yeah. turned into mulch. The whatnot. Overlook. Equally. Yes. Yep. Not a great honeymoon destination. Indeed. Indeed. Um. Indeed.
1: And there is a whole kind of subgenre of motel movie motels. Yes, there are no country for old men style or or lost or L.A. Confidential, mm-hmm. where you end up with uh, with crimes and misdemeanors taking place. Yes, yeah.
0: I mean, yeah. You wouldn't want there's there's a lot of. I don't know. if The question is more about hotel rooms, but hotels. Yes, I mean, you wouldn't want to stay in the hotel that Barton Fink stays in in Barton Fink. Because obviously A it ends up getting burned down, but B it's also a bit of a, a rundown hotel. And there's a lot of rundown hotels as well in movies. Lots of places that you wouldn't want to stay. But anything that's really opulent, it really catches your catches your eye. Couples Retreat, yes.
1: Beautiful um, Bora Bora, one of those ones with the sort of glass floors and the aquamarine turquoise ocean beneath them, mm-hmm. and then just loads of annoying people around. So you know. Good and bad. Good and bad. I was going to say the Travel Lodge in Alan Partridge. But mm-hmm. it's not obviously a movie, but it is The Linton Travel the Tavern. Linton Travel
0: Tavern, sorry. Yeah. It's an amazing place. An amazing place. Jimbo, do you have any more? Or are, you done or are we done? Should we, are we done with this riff? We're done. We're done with this roof. There's loads more. There's loads more. There's always loads more. But, you know, we have to move on. Otherwise, we'll be here all day. Uh, but if you want to have your question uh, sent in, and indeed, if you want to have that question credited to you, then please do write in if uh, you were the person who asked it. Uh, my apologies for forgetting your name. Uh, you should be writing these things down. I don't know what happened to it. But do send in your questions via Twitter at Empire Magazine is what we are on Twitter. Uh, use the hashtag Empire Podcast. You can Facebook us, Empire Magazine and hey, we're on email as well. Podcast at Empire Online dot com. Okay, so it's time for some movie news now. There's, there, there, I'm sure there's some things that have happened post Comic Con. But Phil, let's get your Comic Con roundup. Hi. For the time being, because that that was that was the biggest show in town, wasn't it? Really, it was. If you were in San Diego, not this town, yeah, there is a big Comic Con happening this weekend in London, though, isn't it? There? There's the London Film and Comic-Con with the cast of Back to the Future. Indeed. And Michael J. Fox will be
3: doing the, um, the panel. It's the only press I think he's doing for the anniversary tour. So that's quite exciting.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Lea Thompson, they're, they're all in. Uh, it's all very, very exciting. Uh, they're also reuniting uh, quite a, mem- a lot of the members of cast of uh, Aliens as well. So Sigourney Weaver's coming in, Michael Bean. So it's a, it's a different kind of Comic-Con. It's not as focus on the new and the now as say they are in San Diego but uh, it seems to be one of those comic cons that, that brings people back and you know and this year they've, they've scored a real coup with those two monumental casts and I believe you can go get your picture taken with people and whatnot and look at a panel and, and all sorts of stuff so it's all, it's all very it's all mm-hmm. a lot of fun.
1: That's pretty cool. I mean, there wasn't a lot of that kind of... I mean, I haven't been to Comic-Con before, as discussed, but there wasn't a lot of that kind of on-the-floor interaction that I understand sometimes you can get. Everything was kind of concertinaed into the Saturday, because as I think we discussed before, this was reasonably light in terms of big studio uh, involvement. No no Marvel, obviously, no Pixar, no Paramount, no Sony. So there were a few... few Well, there was Pixar. Big. They, well, Pixar was there, but in a kind of a re- yeah. reasonably small, um, one of you know promoting its short film. Uh, I don't think
0: they've ever been actually. Think back over the years. I don't think Pixar. They don't see it as a as a thing for them. No. The
1: the, the, the kind of the, the big players in town all came out on the Friday night in the in the shape of uh, Star Wars, obviously, mm. and Saturday, which kicked off with a big DC panel. And I guess people were looking at it as a Star Wars versus Batman, Batman versus Superman type of shingle. Um, if you're looking for the big sort of headline. Event and, and if you are looking at like that, I think Star Wars won it. It seems to me. I wasn't at that particular presentation, but it sounded like um, the the audience was in raptures. They showed obviously JJ showed the uh, the sort of show a really I think quite a smart show reel of behind the scenes footage and some new stuff um, without giving too much away, but keeping people happy. I think he struck a nice balance with that. And then obviously when the panel finished, they just upped and everyone followed them, Pied Piper style, across from the convention center across a little kind of peninsula to listen to the soundtrack being scored by the san diego um symphony orchestra i believe I and mean, everyone got lightsabers so yeah. that was an absolute triumph no, I'm, I'm very glad for you very yeah,
3: happy. Yeah, yeah we're very not happy. bitter are we chris
0: are you, you guys, know, look, you guys look, look, look,
1: look like yeah. you mean it as well mm. which is what i love yeah. about
0: you yeah. yeah uh yeah i'm i'm currently stabbing a phil foodie doll <laughs> but it's having no effect whatsoever which is which mm. is weird that's count orlog Oh, yeah,
1: sorry. Uh... Uh, I know know the similarities are (laughs) abundant. But uh, Saturday I was in attendance from the Warner Brothers. Just after the Warner Brothers, it it went into... uh, There was some Lionsgate stuff, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, then Quentin Tarantino turn up and rot the house with the hateful eight, uh, which was an interesting... It was was almost a bit of a sort of cinematic history lecture, (laughs) Film Studies 101. It was kind of fun. It was like... We were expecting a lot about the hateful eight, but it was really he was talking about the 65 mil and how it's going to be projected on 70 mil in these roadshow releases. So he had to explain what a roadshow release was, and then it was almost like you know the first film was made in 1880 <laughs> something, and the and, and the Lumiere brothers were like, well, how far can you take this? If they had done that, if he'd done that, the crowd still would have gone absolutely ballistic. Uh, just just seeing him there, he seemed really sort of happy and, and in the in the zone. And he brought um, some
3: footage. Hmm? He brought some footage. He
1: dropped seven minutes of yeah of footage. And introduced everyone bar Samuel L. Jackson of okay. the eight. And the footage looks, I mean, it looks very Tarantino-y. You know, kind of gnarly gnarly dialogue, lots of witty kind of one-liners, lots of tension building. It didn't show any of the violence, mm. but it it's, it gave a sense of the, the, the sort of the tension cranking up to this big climax. It reminded me a little bit of the, um, the scene in... Inglorious in the uh, in the, um, the where you know, obviously, or the beginning of Inglorious Basterds, those kind of really tense mm. internal mm. shots. And he did talk about how the 65 mil, everyone sees it as a big landscape format for shooting with, but in this instance, he thinks it brings immediacy and intimacy to the internal shots too. So mm. he has a, I mean, it's going to be kind of outdoors indoors, and you've got a sense of the landscape. It looks beautiful. And, uh, you know, obviously, snowy vistas and then it kind mm. of obviously everyone pars into this, into this saloon, which I keep calling salon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what can of Very different kind of movie. Uh, different sort of movie. And um, some of the characters, especially Tim Roth, looks like he's shaping up to be the Christoph Waltz type, flamboyantly the mm. over the top, Terry Thomas type character. He's an Englishman in a big fur coat, really kind of hamming it up to his heart's content. But the cast looks good. Everyone seemed to be just happy to be working with Quentin Tarantino. That was the, the that was the takeout from the panel. Mm. Kurt Russell and, and uh, it was a big tribute from um, Sam, Dern Bruce Dern,
0: <laughs> Sam, Dern. Sam Dern Sam Duran had nothing <laughs> positive Dern. to say
1: whatsoever. <laughs> Bruce, Bruce, Dern, Bruce, Bruce L. Dern, Jackson. Bruce L. Jackson. All of the mm. guys. Yep, Kurt, Kurt Jason Lee, Gen- <laughs> Jennifer Russell—they were all there. <laughs> all the big guys were there. All the big guys. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that was fun. Sixteen by the time you Yeah, there was with a lot them. of people involved. And then, and then we had legendary. Saw some Warcraft footage. And what did you see? I don't know.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Men with swords, axes, orcs, griffins. I, I need you to wear those like lenses they have in Mission Impossible. You, so you could watch it through my eyes and the tell me Archmage. through an earpiece what the hell was going on. It was
3: did- did you see the Archmage Medivh? Uh, very possibly.
1: Okay, good. <laughs> good. So, um but it looked good. Looked looked fine. It looked interesting. I mean, you reserve judgment. I think it's something that they show it crams a lot of a lot of CG stuff in the orcish realm. What do you what would you call the orcish realm? Draenor. Uh, Draenor. That oh. so it sounds like a sort of it sounds like a like a like a Mr. a Mr. Sheen alternative. Ooh. You know, yeah, Draenor or Mr. Sheen. Could anyway, Draenor. Yes. Um is thank you it's a very CG world. But but strangely Duncan Jones did did talk about these huge physical sets they built and he mentioned that they were a bit Cecil B. DeMille a bit Cleopatra mm. you don't you didn't really get a sense of that in the footage it does look like a very Avatar-y pandora CG realm because the film is essentially locked at this point isn't it you yeah know, well this done. is the funny thing I mean it's 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 finished he says he's got I think he's 8 to 10 CG shots to drop in and then it's all done and then it's not out for another 11 months yeah yeah it was, I got a slightly muted reception I thought in Hall H in a day when there was a lot of whooping and cheering. Maybe they were just saving their energy for the, the big Fox panel, which showcased, obviously, X-Men, Deadpool. Deadpool went down like a like, absolute you know, carnival. People, I think they feel... I think Hall H... I speak like I've been there before, but it, it feels like Hall H ha, has a sense of ownership of this film, of Deadpool, mm-hmm. because, as Ryan Reynolds pointed out, they are the ones that have helped make it happen. It le- Footage leaked from there, which I think weirdly helped the film get through. Well, it didn't leak from there. But it, it...
0: Deadpool footage did... Uh, leak And I'm using Inverted commas Around it there uh, Nick the Semlian Is currently outside the booth Pressing What can only be described As his face Up against the glass That's always great Phil can you control your brother He's gone He's gone Did anyone else see that Okay Take uh, a platter again Yeah footage did leak on the internet mysteriously no one knows how it got out there and then there was a huge uh you know oh hey people like this we should make this into film and now they make it into film and it sounds really fun it sounds like it's going to be very very different from any superhero film Mm. we've seen it's going to be raucous and r-rated and over the top and breaking the fourth wall constantly and uh yeah yeah sounds good sounds good how did um how did batman superman and um suicide squad and all that go down
1: well, I wasn't at the DC panel, but I, I think it went down by all accounts. I mean, Ali was there for that one, but he he said it went down, you know, pretty well. Again, it was slightly in the shade of in the shadow of Star Wars from the night before. Um, they just seemed to kind of, I don't know, just have a sense of taking the fans on a bit of a journey okay. physically and otherwise. Sure. I'm not sure Warner Brothers have quite that kind of. I don't know. Quite a I don't know. Touch. Warner
0: Brothers do that thing, don't they? And I know they did it again this year, uh, where they have the screens. They go. They have the panoramic mm. screens that go around the entire yeah. uh, Hall H. If you've never been to Comic Con, if you've never been to Hall H before, it's a fast six and a half thousand seater arena. Uh, at the very very end of the convention center in in San Diego and it basically you sit there and you and there's massive screens and a stage and people come on they talk about their stuff and they show footage and whatnot on the big screens and it's 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 a really weird experience because you're almost I want to get your take on it because you know uh you've never been before mm-hmm. and geek properties are not your natural arena fair to say maybe mm-hmm. Uh, so, what was it like for you? I mean, did you? Because you know, one thing I love about Comic Con is going around the sheer variety of people and seeing everyone in costume, and just it's one of the happiest places I've ever been to. Because uh, you know, you'll always get your, your small percentage of, of of dickheads and whatnot, but but by and large, everyone is really psyched and pumped mm. to be there, and they are they're happy because this is where they belong. They fit in, and everyone accepts them for who they are. Did you get a sense of that? It was a you yeah. Know, what was your? Well, what there was, what your was a guy of? near me who just
1: every every few minutes would just get up and just go woohoo, and I'd be like, Ali, seriously, You're a professional
0: <sighs> journalist.
3: I have this image in my mind of you walking around Comic Con like Marcus Brody in uh, in <laughs> The Last Crusade. <laughs> can, anyone,
0: can anyone tell me how to get to the Suicide Squad panel? <laughs> Hello, <laughs> where are the
3: Darden brothers? I, I'm
0: confused. <laughs> You'll never find it. Three Colors Warcraft. In. What is this?
3: Uh-huh.
0: With any luck, he's got Orgrim Warhammer's Death Sword already. Okay.
1: I'll just create a little bit of gap. So if anyone wants to pour any more of my art house, get out of the way. I was having a go with I mean, James there. No, good. Yeah, That James, was the yeah. point,
0: you know, with his Warcraft. You, you're you the newcomer to off. cinema. Mm.
1: Um, I would say that, yes, it is a very singular experience being in Hall H for about 12 hours. Because once you leave, it's kind of difficult to get back in. So you are kind of in for the in for the <laughs> long true. haul. Yeah. And you get to a point of where you've seen too much. And you mm. get the stare. It's okay. like a full metal jacket. Yeah. Just stare. Uh, I've got the thousand-yard stare. Yeah, I've been in the shit too long. Um, but it's a, like all of Comic Con. It's incredibly uh, infectious. There's people really, really, like you say, they're really psyched to be there. They're really enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. Everybody's really cheerful. We walked the hall on Sunday morning before we left with our suitcases, and I must have run over four people. And they're like, "Dude, it's fine. I'm having a great time." <laughs> as they limped away, I'm like, I, "I mean, sorry to all those people, by the way." Um, I feel. You just feel really, it's just nice to be around that level of enthusiasm. And yes. It doesn't really matter what your interests are in terms of cinema or in terms of you know what your preferences are. And mm. I don't, I mean, I like superhero movies. But it's just very kind of, it's it's a nice place to be in terms of just the level of positivity. There's a lot of emotion as well, which is, I don't know. Like, I mean, there's a lady who asked Joss Whedon a question when Joss Whedon came out and did his kind of, his... Uh, uh, it felt almost like a group therapy session he came out and like, I'm really not making a movie at the moment I've got a comic book he wanted to talk about but he just came out and he wanted to talk and take questions and just talk about staff the lady came out and asked Joss Whedon a question she wanted to ask him a question she said she never got to thank Gene Roddenberry for Uhura uh, but she did want to thank him for Zoe Uh, and she had floods of tears flooding down her face she was very emotional about it and it's again it's like wow this stuff means so much to people Mm. and you can understand why they spend so much money and it takes them a long time to get into the hall the the, the queue for Star Wars was I mean there was someone putting it on Instagram it was insane Mm. we like went up to Twenty fourth floor of some hotel, and you can see they're just snaking around mm. Southern California. People trying to get in. People commit an awful lot of time and energy and emotion to this stuff. And and but it is overwhelmingly positive. I, I, there was yeah. nothing on the on the Saturday that I experienced that was that was negative. The very at the very worst, the energy slightly flatlines, and if people are a bit indifferent, it does. So yeah, you know, it, it, they show it that way.
3: I thing I kind of like to mention. I mean, we mentioned earlier about uh, the Deadpool footage leaking, and the thing about Comic Con this year is interestingly almost all of the footage from the major panels has in one form or another leaked on the internet, which doesn't usually happen with Comic-Con. There is a kind of, uh, I would say unspoken, but it is actually explicitly spoken. There is a covenant between the convention and the people in Hall H that this stuff is presented for them and their eyes alone. It's a special treat for people who've come to Comic-Con and would they please turn off their phones and not film it? And I think this year is the first year, I mean, occasionally stuff does leak, but this year consistently almost every, maybe the same guy,
0: Almost every panel found its way onto the internet. Now, I haven't seen, for example, I haven't seen um, any reports of the apocalypse footage leaking. Yeah, I saw it. I think it did. did. Yeah. it did leak. It did leak. Ago, oh, yeah. it did. literally yeah. almost I, I, everything. That now, that it infuriates me. To be quite frank, but go on.
3: No, I, I I agree with you. I think it, it's one of these things where I I have little. Well, I have some sympathy for the studios, but they they I do think they wring their hands a little bit much because it is to a certain extent promotional material. I think I'm more sympathetic towards the convention itself because it is, you know, the people who go to Comic-Con, there is a kind of a fraternity or a sorority or just a, you know, a, a sort of kinship among geeks that they have travelled, they've made this pilgrimage to Comic-Con to see something that no one else can see. And I mm. think that experience is lessened if it's put on the internet, you know, an hour later.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I got into this on Twitter uh, with a, a whole bunch of people uh, over the weekend because uh, and, and, and it started off with something different. Basically, started off the the um, was the Suicide Squad either the Suicide Squad or the Deadpool footage it was one of the two, mm. and that's say leaked. Leaked is the wrong word. Have it put on the internet by an asshat who <laughs> went to Comic Con, ignored roundly the um, requests by Comic Con not to film. Every year we've gone, they go, please don't film what's going to be on the screens because studios will start A not coming at all or B they'll come but they won't bring the footage and then and then where are we going to be so please don't do that and some people just roundly ignore it and they go ha 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 stick it to the man and put it on the internet and you know and that's that's okay if in one I, I, I find that abhorrent but okay that's done done dusted but um Outlets, major outlets, I won't name them, were then linking to these stories, going, oh, hey, hey, we're meant to be a reputable um, outlet, a, a website, whatever. And here's where you can see some interestingly obtained footage, shall we say, because I know it's a... it's A, it's, it's, a legal grey area. Yeah, mm. because it's not a finished film or whatnot. And that just angered me, the fact that, you know... Journalists or people who call themselves journalists, and I'm using air quotes quite extensively here, w- would, would do that. that. That just angered me. And mm. I got into a lot of people. <clears throat> and then some people were saying, well, hang on, this is ridiculous. You know, Why shouldn't everyone be able to see this footage at the same time? And I was kind of saying, well, to be quite frank, the, maybe the people who have, as you say, made that pilgrimage to the Comic-Con, maybe they should be uh, given the stuff on an exclusive basis as a reward for being able to go to which some people re- uh, responded well what makes them special that they can afford to go to Comic Con in a kind of way yes because it's not like these people are rolling in cash I mean you know they, they, a lot of them have saved up for yeah. months sometimes years to go to Comic Con and then when they get to Comic Con it's not a question of they like, just blithely walk into Hall H like like us like we entitled you know morons press we, people you know, we do yeah. we, we just blithely walk into Hall H uh, but most people don't most people queue out uh, overnight in the open air come rain or shine uh, for for hours sometimes days on end to get into the stuff so is it really too much to ask that they should be allowed to have that stuff on an, on an exclusive basis it's funny it, entitlement is just it, 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 it's uh, fa- flabbergasting to me anyway. on the
3: one hand I'm probably like the first in the queue to watch this pirated footage just because I wasn't able to go to comic con and I do want to see it but so it does make me a massive hypocrite obviously to then say that they shouldn't do it mm. but I, I do feel for people and I think you know JJ had a clear plan that for Star Wars they, they didn't show footage from the film they showed behind the scenes footage they showed that nicely edited uh, making of real uh, and they put that online a few hours later and they clearly decided they were going to do that before
0: change of, a change in policy yeah uh,
3: and, and and I felt a little bad for the people in hall H because it does that does take away some of the you know the exclusivity the we were there we saw this
0: yes but at the same time you know and you can see the panels as well but there's nothing that beats being in that room when mm. Harrison Ford walks out or nothing that beats that you know, in that room when a few years ago Tom Hiddleston appeared as, as Loki in character as Loki and, <laughs> and called us all mewling quims absolutely or you know last year when the Avengers came out one at the time and, and and each successive scream seemed to get louder and, and almost you know the old cliche threatened to lift the roof off the place but there's nothing to be being in that room mm. but I just I, I don't know I just think that the, the people who slave and get over there and queue and line up and do everything they should maybe be given a little bit more grace And but it's the, it's the now 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 culture that um, that I, I have some issues with. Anyway, anyway, we've talked enough Comic-Con, because there has been some other news that's happened in a week, hasn't there, boys? Uh, please tell me there has been. Has there? There has. I'm sure there has. Dan so. Aykroyd uh,
3: sent a tweet and then deleted a tweet. That was quite interesting. Okay. Did we see that? Dan Aykroyd tweeted that he was uh, shooting a scene on the set of Ghostbusters with Kristen Wiig. Uh <laughs> was clearly enjoying himself, and then hastily deleted it when everyone picked up with the news. Hey, Dan Aykroyd to be in new Ghostbusters. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. But uh, but interesting that Ray Stans will be making an appearance in the film. Now are they
0: saying he's going to be Ray Stans?
3: They haven't said that. I think we can assume, unless he's going to be sort of man in toll booth and it's just a bit of a, you know, yeah, wink I've got and, I've nod got a and feeling, of Yeah, I've
0: got a feeling they're going to go that way. Uh, mm-hmm. he's, not going to be playing, he's not going to be Stans because I think the idea is that this is a reboot and that these are the first Ghostbusters. That's my feeling. That's my understanding anyway.
1: That feels right to me. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise you just start encumbering the film with other... It's exposition not like and next to mm. why is he in it and then it becomes complicated. Mm. But maybe he's been involved in this obviously from the get go, so you know, I guess a cameo makes a lot of sense. Yeah. There's been a couple of things that we kind of knew were happening, but are now definitely happening.
3: Uh which is Tilda Swinton playing the Sorcerer Supreme in Doctor Strange. Not literally playing the Sorcerer Supreme, because that is, of course, Doctor Strange, but the ancient one in Doctor Strange. Tilda Swinton playing the Sorcerer Supreme and Doctor
1: Strange's nemesis. He not let me finish my sentence. <laughs> Sorry, Phil, I jumped in there. The ancient one. Good save. Uh, oh, I was just taking, I was just, just pausing. I'm working but, on my articulation. But it's not nemesis either. No. No. Absolutely <laughs> haven't waited. You're absolutely right. Tildes <clears throat> uh, Winton is playing uh-huh. the Sorcerer Supreme, uh-huh. Doctor Strange's nemesis's
0: nemesis. 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 The Ancient One. The Ancient One. That's an amazing sentence. That's good. What happened? In Doctor Strange. I can yeah. see Comic Cons rubbed off confirmed. on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So
1: that's happening. That's good. And confirmed. Idris Elba is confirmed for the new Star Trek.
3: Yeah, Star Trek Beyond. Exciting. I reckon he's going to be a Klingon. He'd make an awesome Klingon. Everybody
1: thinks he'll be a Klingon. Mm. Maybe he won't be.
3: Maybe he won't be. <laughs>
1: maybe he'll be a Borg. <laughs>
3: M- maybe he'll be a Borg. Yes. i fast running. Resistance out of Star is oil no far Be brilliant.
1: Yeah, so those things happening. And they're also making a live Bill action. Bill Sykes has just walked in the <laughs> room. Like, oh, gotta pick a pocket or two. Um, but first, I'm gonna tell you about this Aladdin live action prequel. Great. Which I genuinely couldn't be less excited about. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's his spirit. Oh, dear. Cut to two years' time. Oh, where's because- he Where, set? Where's the shooting? Oh. Bora Bora. It's called Genies. I've always loved Aladdin. Aladdin in Bora Bora. Why would he be in the South Pacific? I don't know. I was just trying to come up with something you
1: know, somewhere that, that's nice. You've got three wishes, and you're going to waste one of them on being on the same set as Couples Retreat.
0: With, this is true. With, well, this they won't true. be there anymore,
1: will they? So maybe, maybe that would work. It's called Genie, anyway. Um, I apologise for being negative about it. It may be really good. Um, I, just think that, I just think of Robin Williams. It makes me think of Robin Williams, and then I feel sad, and then I just feel negative. So I'm just going to put it to one side. So they're going to call it Genie? They're calling it Genie. Yeah,
0: it's a live-action it, prequel.
1: Let me tell you what happens The movie tells the story of Aladdin A street urchin Who finds a lamp Because he loves lamp uh, Then unleashes a genie Which grants him three wishes A love interest And a sorcerer Also figure in the proceedings <sighs> Cool, Tilda Swinton Could it be a sorcerer supreme? Perhaps the that's nemesis a mine- that's become a num- of minefield for me <laughs> Wow Who knows Nemesis is nemesis Nemeses. Nemesis. Nemesis. Nemesai Nemesis.
3: I don't know. I'm making this No, nemesis. Yeah. Mm.
1: So it's in the early stage of development, but there's a plan here that will have the project lead into an Aladdin live-action movie. So it's a way off yet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Phil reads out a press release <laughs> <laughs> live on the air.
2: <laughs> this
1: is compelling. Once radio.
0: once more with feeling. <laughs> that was great. There
1: hasn't been a lot of news. There was only one bit of news from Comic Con, which I suppose I could tell because most there are occasionally big announcements like. Like Batman versus Superman, made at Comic Con. Yes. Uh yeah. not this year though no. particularly, although Although Quentin Tarantino did announce that Ennio Morricone will be writing his first original score mm. for *The Hateful A, he's not really ever used pure score before, and he and Ennio Morricone had a bit of a a bit of a contretemps, I would say, over yeah. over um, the Django
0: uh, music. Weirdly enough, I found um, I don't think I have it on my phone now, but I was looking at this yesterday, and there's an interview with uh, Morricone from 2013 where he basically says, "I will never work with Tarantino again mm. uh, because we had a had real Barney on mm. Django Unchained." But uh, but Tarantino's giving them the softly softly approach and and off we go. So they're writing an entire score, which is uh, which is going to be fun. I'm really really excited about that film. And of course this is this will be the first Tarantino film to have a a score, yeah. a proper score. Yeah. Uh, because he he you know he usually uses pop songs um, and when he uses bits of score, they're recycled from other films traditionally. Yeah. anyway. So for him to to go down this route is very exciting. Very exciting indeed. Well done. Well done, Quentin Tarantino. Well done, Ennio Morricone. Um, Anything else? I'm just looking down the list here of stuff. And no, no, no. We're out of news. We're all done. We're all done. Uh, Which means it is time for this week's guest. Uh, A few months ago, I think it was last year actually, uh, Antoine Fuqua came at Le Pod uh, to talk about The Equaliser he was there to nominally talk about The Equaliser but he couldn't stop talking about the movie he had just finished shooting which was Southpaw a boxing drama with Jake Gyllenhaal and as he left I don't know if you were here Phil or not I think I'm at as he left he took out his phone and he showed us a pic of Jake Gyllenhaal from the film um, and he was just Rippling and transformed, and I believe it was from the film. It wasn't just, it wasn't just a, a, a selfie Jake had taken and sent to Antoine Fuqua. But he was immediately, he was like, "Oh, okay, this is different," because he'd gone straight from that from Nightcrawler into that, um, and now finally, finally, Southpaw is here, in which and Hall plays uh, Billy Hope, who's a boxing champion uh, from the wrong side of the tracks, who has it all, and then loses it all, and then has to try and get it back again. Uh, he popped into the booth recently to talk to Ali, and I don't think he had a shirt off. Ali might have done, but I can't verify that for sure. I uh, do enjoy the interview.
4: You're eating a sandwich
0: Was that cheese and ham there? Yeah, Greg
4: oh,
2: okay. from Greg's.
4: Yeah. From Greg's, I love it. Yeah, God, I love Greg's. You're on the Empire podcast for the second time. You're once before for End of Watch, which we're big fans of. I will try to resist you asking... you got good taste. Well, She's damn straight. <laughs> I'm going to resist trying to talk about End of Watch and Nightcrawler, because big fan here. You should. I should, and I probably will eventually, but okay. we're also going to talk about your new movie, which is called Southpaw. Do you mind if I get through the questions everyone asks and you're sick of answering? Sure. Southpaw, what is a Southpaw?
2: Well, a Southpaw is someone who is, there's ox, uh, orthodox stance fighting, which is most people with your left hand as a, a jabbing hand, you know, j- our jabbing arm, and your right hand, you know, obviously, it's behind the left hand, and the Southpaw is when the stance is different. Um, but is the opposite, mm-hmm. hence southpaw, meaning your paws are essentially the opposite way. And people have varying definitions for why it's called that, but I think that's probably the most logical. It's the opposite. Sure. If yeah. You're... Like in skating, you, you skate Goofy. Yeah. But, you know, he is not a southpaw, this fighter. In fact, he is more, uh, it's sort of the metaphor of the movie in a lot of ways. And also, there's a, well, you don't want to give too much away about the movie, but. Sure.
4: Yeah. yeah, this role was originally earmarked a long, 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 long time ago for Eminem. Mm-hmm. How does it feel to step into his shoes?
2: You know, being an actor, I think generally, you you know, there's a lot of talk about roles. Sometimes people play other roles or gonna play a role than someone else does. And ultimately, my philosophy, particularly when people have asked me, oh, hey, are, have you, like, I heard you were maybe gonna play this role. I, I, I always find that so odd because... Um, once it rolls and actors, it's theirs, you know, and I always say that from the opposite side, but what I will say is, you know, it's it's like loosely based on certain things that happened in his life at first, the first few drafts, and then once I came on, we changed a lot of things and it sort of became my own thing, and then M saw the movie um, and really loved the movie, and so he wrote a couple songs for the movie, and then he also was executive producing the soundtrack for it, so, you know, it, it all ended up sort of falling into place in one way or another, but there. It's it's not very intimidating. I, I would be more intimidated if they asked me to do my own hip hop album. But I feel pretty confident.
4: Um, I love the idea of somebody, some record producer going, "Look, Eminem's busy, uh, <laughs> Jake. Um, <laughs> I know this is unorthodox, but could you?
2: I'd spend five months training to be. Would uh, <laughs> <laughs> you gain weight, lose weight? <laughs> Something has to happen.
4: And he did this. I like, know everyone's pun. mentioned this. Yes. Yeah. Right after Nightcrawler. So you had to gain X number of pounds for this. Mm-hmm. What lies have you been telling people about your regime? Like you ate <laughs> two buffaloes a day, body weight and mozzarella, and then you just worked out for a bit.
2: Grass-fed buffaloes. Grass-fed buffaloes. Yeah. And then ate the cheese that they had already made, buffalo mozzarella. Yep. I had another movie in between. I did another movie in between these two movies, actually. I did this movie, Everest, about Mount Everest. So we shot a lot of that movie in Italy, mm-hmm. and I ate a lot of pasta after Nightcrawler. And then and then I uh, got into even better shape training, you know, learning how to box for Southpaw. So it's, it's a logical progression that doesn't look as logical, you know, um, on screen.
4: Which film injured you the most of Nightcrawler, then Everest, then Southpaw? Because I think I know the answer.
2: He's sick, sick, he's sick-minded. <laughs> what injured me the really the most? Yeah. Well, Nightcrawler sent me to the hospital, so I would have to say Nightcrawler. Which is not really the film you'd guess would be
4: the one, you know, about an ambulance-chasing pseudo-journalist.
2: I know, I would expect an ambulance to be close by, but it wasn't. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you you wouldn't necessarily think that, but yeah, that movie. But, you know, I, I got hit a lot when I was making this movie, but nothing to send me to the hospital, thankfully.
4: And you did, I gather, and this kind of blew my mind, two weeks' worth of fights, so you had to do all of the fights essentially on the trot yes and as you're doing the fights you've got to have the right makeup for just how beat up you are right right so is it like okay so where am i here so how beat up i more blood on the eye please
2: we went in stages you know so we we actually went in reverse we shot the first the last fight first wow that's yeah, intense because it's sort of the biggest fight and the longest fight mm. so antoine really wanted to shoot the that that part first and you know in in order we would go, we'd do round one, two, four, six, uh, the first day, you know, we wouldn't do every single round, we sure. would fix pick rounds, and then we choreographed those rounds, and then we'd do that for like a day. We'd do all that, and he would roll the camera for fifteen minutes or so, So we would do all the dialogue in between rounds. A bell uh-huh. would ring. We do our choreography and then we would improv too. We'd improv fighting and we talk between our gloves. Like while we were moving around, i say, okay, I'm gonna throw two jabs, the right hand and then left hook, and I'll try for an uppercut, you know, and then, okay, all right, wait, give me three. I'd be like, no, don't give me four com- four punch combinations, give me three punch combinations. I'd be like, okay, uh, double jab, right hand, and then can I come back for a jab? Yeah, okay, all right. And then I'm gonna block two and then I'm gonna get hit by the right hand. Okay, all right, let's go. And then it'd be like, boom, boom, boom. Boom, you know? And then, okay, let's do that again. Boom, boom, boom. Now the reverse, right? And we talk. You
4: missed a trick because what you should have done is recorded that and there's your rap song.
2: With no rhymes, yeah? With no rhymes. Absolutely none. Rhyme
4: and the beat is punches.
2: I should stick to your ideas more often. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I
4: really don't think so. The film has you with Forrest Whitaker was was an, we had him in the podcast booth quite recently, and I, I found myself in awe of him, as I suppose many people are. Yes. Was was there a lot of that for you, or did it kind of go quite quickly?
2: He has a real air about him that I think is like somewhat intimidating and a little bit uncomfortable, you know. Yeah. But ultimately, like on film. Um, is so profound you know translates in such an amazing way on film and he has so much experience and there's this kindness to him there's this deep deep kindness to forrest and yeah i it was really really wonderful working with him i was intimidated initially and i think intimidated all along but i also was playing a character that you had to push him and frustrate him too Mm. so in that way i really had to keep keep my wits about me and and you know Frustrate him
4: <laughs> Is that the trick? It's make him feel a little bit annoyed?
2: Well, you know, we did a lot of improv in this movie, and is that so? Yeah, the movie is many scenes of this movie are improv. Mm-hmm. so you know, Forrest walked into this world and he was a really formidable opponent in terms mm-hmm. of just working on improv, and his ideas that he threw back to me were always very complicated, and the interesting thing about him was he was always challenging me and my person, which is exactly what Tick does. Yes, you his know, character's name, Tick, yeah. Tick is in the character. It's exactly what his character does. So he, you know, it was very interesting, you know, as we were improving, you know, he would throw me back a curveball that, you know, many of their actors, as amazing as they were at the improv, you know, weren't doing. So mm. as soon as he came on, you know, I, I realized, oh, wow, this guy really, really knows what he's doing. Um, he's not just a great actor. He's also really incredible in, in improvisation.
4: Now, your, your character in this film is a man of fewer words than, say, Lou Bloom here. Mm. And with Lou Bloom, you learned the whole script in Nightcrawling. You learned yeah. it all.
2: Yeah,
4: How much of that script do you still remember? A lot of it. Does it just circle around your head every so often?
2: Yeah, it's still there.
4: Does the Smurf speech from Donnie Darko, Does that in your head ever?
2: Sad to say that was like close to 12 years ago, which is maybe more. 15 years ago? Don't no, wait, that. 20
4: years y- ago? You're not allowed to say that.
2: Holy shit. Am I 60? I think you might be dead, Jake. Whoa. This is really surreal. I mean, no, I feel alive here. Can't be. Nah. No. No, you're talking to me. Yeah, I can. not I'm yeah. alive. I'm really alive. You. Um. No. Yeah. I remember. I remember lines, but not like. I mean, I really remember a lot of Nightcrawler. Why do you want me to say one? No.
4: Of lines? No. I'm not that guy. Um. I was interviewing Seth MacFarlane recently, and someone said to me explicitly, "Please don't just ask him." To, to do the voice, because that's just not cool.
2: But that's a voice, I
4: mean... <laughs> I mean, this is...
2: Not a, I wasn't going to do the character, I would just do the lines for you. I mean,
4: you know the, I mean? The, the one that everyone that's seen the film, for me, that kind of finds themselves saying is, my motto is, if you want to win a lottery... You have to make the money to buy it. To has that been something people say to you in the street? Because there's a part of me that really wishes that they do.
2: Someone said to me as I was leaving um, an a uh, uh, press junket, one sure. of the cameramen said, oh, excuse me, and I was like, yeah, he said just remember, I would never ask you to do anything I wouldn't do myself. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> See ya. I was like, but those lines are just, they're just, I mean, they're the best to say. I mean, you wrote such a brilliant screenplay. And that
4: little viral video you did, the trailer, I haven't seen anything like it. Last year, I, I wrote a lot about Nightcrawler and that in particular I loved because wasn't that not in part your idea to deliver that speech over several locations? Yes. And then kind of, push it together in this kind of hypnotic teaser
2: well as every kind of great thing you know as it as it all happens and is invented it's a collaboration of a lot of different people's minds but yeah i i wanted to do every speech into the camera and every time we were setting up a shot and we were taking time i just figured it could be used for something Ah, and i so i so we did that um much of the dismay of many people we were shooting. And then, you know, we sold the movie with that, which was kind of cool. And then uh, John Gilroy, who's the editor of Nightcrawler, who's actually Dan Gilroy's brother, uh, the writer and director of the movie, they put it together for for a teaser trailer. And uh, it, was, it was really brilliant.
4: Of your back catalogue, what are the ones that you find yourself thinking of uh, is, is Zodiac often there is, are these, what are the things you're most proud of would you say
2: I'm proud of I'm really proud of Zodiac yeah I mean I, I love I'm really proud of Brokeback Mountain I'm really proud of Donnie Darko and I really love End of Watch and everything that I, I learned from that movie I I love Enemy this movie I did and you've not seen enough Enemy oh yeah
4: I, I felt yeah. like not enough people are aware of it
2: well it's a very small film and you know uh, obscure in a lot of ways but that and I'm very proud of Nightcrawler, and and I really love Southpaw too. So, there are a number of them there that I you look back on those things and you you, you kind of they mark times in your life, but they also mark choices. You know, they mark mm. your belief in something, and your belief in you know your instinct and mm-hmm. stuff. And that's what I look at and like. I'm like, ah, yeah, you knew that was gonna be kind of cool. Oh, uh, way to go, dude. <laughs> um, and I and I I'm proud of that. And you had a
4: decision to make with Nightcrawler, whether you either did a prince in Into the Woods, mm-hmm. where we would have hopefully had some of your rapping skills, mm-hmm. because I, well, I, that
2: would have happened absolutely,
4: hundred percent. I mean, it I wouldn't know. have been in the script, but you would have made that.
2: Happen. I would have done that. I don't know what if I if I would have kept the job, ah, but that's sort of how I would probably have approached that. Role. That
4: is a note your agent gives people. Yeah, Jake, he's up for the part, but he yeah. may rap. Yeah. (laughs) At any moment.
2: You'd be surprised, but yeah.
4: (laughs) The thing is about Into the Woods is that Meryl Streep genuinely does rap, so... She does. So it's the weirdest thing. Oh my God. Yeah, the opening sequence is her bursting into this kitchen and firing a rap at Emily Blunt and and James Corden. I love that. Full on. Yeah, crazy. Uh, So you decided not to do that. And in retrospect, would you have done five months worth of uh, spitting lyrics for that one? Because that's a decision. it's a fork in the road there.
2: Yeah, I mean, no, I was always devoted and committed to do nightcrawler i always thought it was brilliant i i always felt like there was no other choice i I was producing the movie too so of course yeah you know there was no there's there's no real like this or that it was just really a question of whether or not we could figure them both out yeah fit them in yeah
4: going back to southpaw Antoine one he is a humongous boxing fan was he like giving you constant notes and was he very like into it because having spoken to him about the film he is so proud, so proud of this movie and so mm. proud of what he's done with the boxing.
2: Was he very intense as a director? He is a very intense director, but I'm also intense in what I do and I think we were total partners. Yeah, mm. I mean, I knew... I worked so hard to try and make sure that everything that I was doing looked and could be shot as authentic, you know, and so he was very particular... But at the same time, we had by the time we were shooting, we had gotten past all of those things because we had spent days upon sure. days upon days and hours upon hours already discussing all that. Sure. and the choreography situation in the movie and us, you know trying to tell the story of that, that was like a lot of work and many, many hours figuring that out. So, um, yeah, I mean he was he was with me the entire time. I mean, even he came and trained with me you know every day.
4: And tell me, did you keep the world champion belt for your character?
2: Tell me you tell me you kept that. No. Oh, man. I'm not allowed to have that. That's not on. I'm an actor. <laughs> You're not allowed to have things. <laughs> I get a WBC championship light heavyweight belt. you crazy. Any, not it's even like, a fake one? Give that, they don't give that away. Come on. And we got the real ones. We You're got, kidding, really? No, we got real ones. Yeah, we had real ones in the movie. Very heavy. You know, really soft underneath, like sheepskin. Mm-hmm. Really kind of amazing. Like as if you would wear it all the time. Yeah, You know exactly. what I mean? It's like, like... It's like your cummerbund. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You just wear it like <laughs> with, your, with your every outfit. To pajamas.
4: Thank you so much for taking the time to talk Thanks to us. Man. And also to talk about Nightcrawler. We're yep. humongous fans. And thank you again, Jake. Thank you,
2: man. Thanks for meeting me eat my sandwich here. It's my
4: pleasure. You thought that was the end of the interview? It is not quite well it is. That was the end of the interview. It's still me, Ali Plum, editor of this podcast. I'm about to set up myself again, second time in two weeks that I'm setting up for my own science bit, but here comes the Squarespace Science Bit for this episode in three, two, eight, four, one, go. Yes, it's Science Bit time with your friendly, local, regular editor Ali Plum. Squarespace, of course, is the fun and easy way of creating your own personal website portfolio or online store and guess what you get a 10 percent off code with empire the word to put into the coupon box is empire empire e-m-p-i-r-e it looks professionally designed no matter what your skill level there's no coding required easy to use tools throughout it's got state-of-the-art technology powering it to make sure it's secure and stable and not going to like fall over in the middle of the night it's trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world and it starts at just eight dollars a month you can work it out i think about five pounds is about right a month and you get a free domain if you sign up for a year so start your free trial today with no credit card required at squarespace.com when you do decide to sign up for squarespace remember empire is the offer code 10 percent off your first purchase Squarespace, as they say, build it beautiful. Thank you for listening not only to this science bit, but to the podcast generally. Please enjoy the rest of your regularly scheduled programme.
0: Okay, that was Jakey G with Ali P. We're going to discuss Southpaw on next week's show, but for now, let's tackle this week's releases, and the biggest slash smallest of them all is Marvel's Ant-Man, the MCU movie with the I think it's fair to say the most troubled production history to date Edgar Wright was obviously the director on the movie then he left just a few weeks before filming began and he was replaced by Peyton Reed Uh, the actors by and large stayed on and now uh, just over a year later here we are with Ant-Man about to drop what did we make of the finished product then we liked this one a
3: lot Uh, This one stars uh, Paul Rudd as Scott Lang a reformed cat burglar just got out of prison trying to turn his life around when he is yanked into the world of superheroes by uh, Michael Douglas' Hank Pym the former Ant-Man who's developed a uh, a special Pym particle which explores the space space between atoms I think I'm right in saying uh, which enables him to shrink down to the size of an ant Uh, and thanks to a handy uh, bit of uh, other technology to control and talk to ants as well uh, so one of the more unusual and, you know, on paper slightly underwhelming abilities when it comes down to superheroes. You know, you've got hmm. gods of thunder, you've got people wielding sort of the powers of the heavens, and then you've got a man who can talk to ants and become very small. Um, but thanks to the powers of physics, when he's very, very small, uh, he can hit uh, proportionally with, these, with the sort of power of a bullet. So when he shrinks down very small, he can uh, he can do some serious damage. And there's, there's loads mm-hmm. of fun to be had with, actually, the, uh, the shrinking stuff. And... Um, it's hard to say how much of Joe and Edgar's script remains in the final film, but you feel Joe Cornish. that, yes, Joe yeah. Cornish, co-writer Joe Cornish, you feel their influence throughout, and it's a, it's an interesting tonal film. There's loads of comedy in it, and I don't want to talk about the kind of climactic sequence, even though it's kind of given away a little bit in the trailer, but incredibly fun, uh you know, incredibly sweet, just really, really well put together, and uh, and I know we've talked about this on the podcast quite a bit, but a lot but um i do feel a lot of the marvel films have a sort of a similar sort of third act problem which this film i think manages to sidestep entirely um by going sort of smaller rather than
0: larger scale in every sense well i think uh a lot of geeks might be going into this movie with an appreciation of edgar reich's films and maybe a sense of of regret for what will never be Mm. you have to set that aside What Edgar and Joe and Edgar as a director would have done, we'll never know, we will never see. You have to set it aside and watch the film that that Marvel have have managed to make. And um, it is a lot of fun. It has its flaws. But I think one of the interesting things, and we're going to get into this, we're going to do a spoiler special, which will be out early next week. One of the things I really, really like about this film is that it is tonally and in terms of scale, funnily enough, um, and structure the closest to the original Iron Man than uh, any of their films. Bar the presence of the fact that there's two leads in this, two male leads, you've got your Hank Payman, your Scott Lang. Bar that, if it was just one lead, then you could almost lay. Iron Man overlist. There's a bad guy who's a megalomaniac uh, uh, CEO who wants to take the technology that the hero has and use it against him and create a weapon and there's a feisty you know, romance and it, it, there's not a lot of action in the first hour or so. I don't think Scott Lang even dons the Ant-Man suit for about 40 minutes or so. Mm. Um But it is a lot of fun and it is very funny and it does have a lot of stylistic quirks um, uh, but it doesn't feel like Peyton Reed's doing an Edgar Wright impression which I thought was going to be the case. Um, I think Edgar would have made a more kinetic uh, film but we'll never know. Mm. What we have here though is a film that's co-written, ultimately co-written. There's a credit to Edgar and Joe so a lot of their screenplay uh, I assume remains. But there's also uh, Paul Rudd and Adam McKay who obviously is the command director, they also get a, a screenwriting credit as well. And that's really interesting. And Rudd writes a really fun and engaging Scott Lang. Hank Pym is, uh, Michael Douglas' Hank Pym is very, very solid. Um, I've seen this twice now. Uh, I saw uh, then the second time with a big audience. All the jokes were, were hitting big. And I started to think, oh, actually, this is this could hit on a Guardians level. Uh, it's got that sort of vibe. It's got that sort of attitude. Um, it's a lot, lot better than I, I thought it was going to be. I never thought it was going to be bad, but you could be, you could have been forgiven for thinking it was going to be very, very messy. It is not that, but, um, but there you go. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of
3: invention in the film. I mean, I, I shared your concerns going in, uh, but. You know the the time when uh, there's a moment where 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 Lang shrinks down for the first size and he falls through a plug hole through floorboards and he ends up you know falling into a nightclub and ends up in between the grooves on a record. I mean it, it's brilliant to look at and it's geniusly put together. You know there's a fight inside a briefcase and then there's of course as I said the final act which we won't we won't spoil. But a lot of thought's gone into this and they they've really sort of enhanced uh, the feeling of being small and they put you in the Ant Man's head as it were. Uh, and there's loads of fun with the ants as well. There's some really great visual gags in there, mm-hmm. uh, which they put together. I mean, if I were to complain about anything, it might be, while I love Corey Stoll, I, his Yellow Jacket isn't the most developed villain, which is, I think, a problem that Marvel a, do stumble a, into a lot. Yeah,
0: um, There are some clumsy... Very clumsy uh, connections to the Marvel Universe at large. One of them, one of them is great. You mentioned there's a cameo of an Avenger yeah. which actually plays a lot better than it could have done. It feels like it feels like a, a, a like a comic book. There's there is a little bit of connect the dots stuff going on that's a little clumsy, but at the same time, it opens up some interesting avenues for the MCU to explore. Um, it's a it's very charming and a lot of fun, and I yeah I liked it more than I thought I was going to.
3: Mm-hmm. And PSU there are uh, or PSA I should say PSU is a PlayStation. PSA there are in fact two stings as we've come to expect. Uh, do
0: stay for them both. Cause they're kind of important. Yes, one of them is very important in fact. Uh, So do hang around for that one. Okay, four stars in for Ant-Man is the film of the week. Also out this week we have True Story which is a true story based on a true story starring uh, Jonah Hill and James Franco. Correct. Phil Cat. Yeah, well this is, I mean, Jonah Hill's sort of, I
1: don't know, reinvention expansion of the Hilliverse. (laughs) Um, He's from, from, you know, straight comedy to, to more dramatic roles that's taken in Moneyball and obviously The Wolf of Wall Street and it's brought him full circle in the sense that it's reuniting him with one of his old comedy muckers in James Franco. Uh, Jonah Hill plays a disgraced New York Times journalist who has done some bad, unethical things on a cover story and been fired. And then he hears sort of out of the blue from a man called Christian Longo. Now, this is a true story. And Christian Longo was a a man who murdered his whole family. He was incarcerated, but had been using he'd been using Michael Finkel, Jonah Hill's character's name as an alias mm-hmm. um, and suddenly he gets in touch the two of them are connected and uh, Longo offers Finkel the opportunity to have exclusive and exclusive access to his story in return for some you know some favours help with writing and other things but obviously there's a lot more to it than that the two of them and their dynamic is, is what's at the heart of this film and, and the ideas of sort of manipulation and, and, and moral corrosion I suppose and, and, and Jonah and Jonah Hill's character trying to kind of get back on the up and up, but he's a man who's not afraid to cut corners, and uh, he's not necessarily a sympathetic character. Mm. And uh, you know, it's a real story. It's a very interesting and, in many ways, unusual tale. Um, little sort of shades of in cold blood in the, in the relationship between the criminal and the writer, mm-hmm. and uh, who has the power? You know, who in the situation is in control? Um, we gave it four stars. And it's definitely worth a look. It's a very different sort of film, obviously, to Ant-Man. Um, but it's uh, it's it's, um, it's something, that we, a film that we recommend.
0: Four stars then for True Story. And here's another True Story. That's it for the, this week's Emperor podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by Pete Doctor and Jonas Rivera, director and producer of Pixar's latest slice of brilliance, Inside Out. I won't be here for that because I'm going on an actual honest-to-goodness holiday. I know. Hooray! I know. Hooray! He's gone! I mean, Finally, the tyranny is over. No, it's uh, oh. it's it's going to be good. So you'll you be in capable hands. Who's? Phil will be hosting, or Helen will be hosting, or... I don't know, maybe we'll get someone the size of an ant to host. Who knows? That oh, could be fun. But anyway, until then, it is goodbye from Phil. Goodbye. It's goodbye from James. Goodbye. It's goodbye from me. I'm off to get some shorts, because I'm going to show off my pasty white Irish legs in the uh, Big Apple concrete jungle where dreams are made of. See you next time.
4: Hello, Ali again. Yes, I keep butting in. Right, you thought it was over. It's not quite. Don't forget, it is 10% off. You could get 10% off your new website on squarespace.com with the offer code E-M-P-I-R-E, which spells Empire. 10% off. Squarespace, great new site. You make it really easy. Looks good. God, I'm getting excited. It's been a long day. Enjoy the rest of your week, because, of course, you'll be back next week for the next podcast. See you then.